This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey y'all, it's Crystal. And it's Samantha. And this is Serialholic Sisters. True crime shit. Hey girl, hey. How's it going? <laughs> Why do you always do a weird whisper thing when we first I don't started? know. I feel like uh, every time I say that, like it plays out in my head completely different than how it sounds. And then when it comes out, I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm talking to like a two-year-old. Like it's a little creepy. Like, <laughs> it is, it how's is. it going, sweet baby angel? Like what? <laughs> angle. Sweet, sweet baby, baby angle. angle. <laughs> <laughs> I have been using that that phrase. You stole my phrase. That's what I call my, my puppies. <laughs> yes. And my children. <laughs> I've been saying, Mom, stop. Sweet, sweet baby angles, come here. <laughs> and all of them have been giving me the look like, yeah. what the fuck is wrong with you? So um, this week is a little different. It is my week. We It's kind of late in the week. We're, we're still in vacation mode. We are. Um, sorry. So, sorry about it. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Sorry. That's exactly what I was about to say. And just kind of a heads up. So you won't have an extra episode this week just because we recorded late um because crystal is going on her v- vacation too it's so just week, it's just a little weekend vacation but yeah it's right during when we normally record so sorry about that but so you'll have this week's um episode late and then you'll have next episode will be next weekend so um, but it's gonna be a really good one i'm almost done with my notes and it's gonna be good it's also gonna be a bummer so i'm sorry super say, heavy so the episode that I picked the, for today um it's technically unsolved um but it's gonna drive you insane I'm just gonna put that out there so it, it's not cool. so much I mean every episode is a bummer when it has to do with Moida <laughs> I would say they're all pretty much bummers <laughs> we're here to bum you out but it's okay <laughs> So um, we're just going to go ahead and get into it then. Let's do it. Because I'm ready. I don't really have anything else. <laughs> no, all I had was, I'm sorry that we're late and I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry. <laughs> um, okay. Well, it was, we're going to start off with um, it being December 3rd, 1957 um, in Sycamore, Illinois. Seven-year-old Maria Elizabeth Riddle. Uh, have you heard of this one? I don't know. Okay. Well, her and her friend, Kathy Sigmund, they were begging to go outside and play like the typical seven-year-olds do, you know? Okay. Um, it's December, so it's cold, and it just started snowing again. And after finishing dinner, they were finally told that it was okay to go outside. After dinner, now, it's too late, girls. Wait till the morning. That's, that's what I was about to say. So I was going to say... Um, I don't know about you, but when the sun is going down, kids are coming inside. Like first of all, it's cold in December and it's snowing, so I don't want to be outside gets, after. And it gets <laughs> dark, dark anyways. It gets dark quicker too. It gets dark so early. It gets dark at like five. It's just unacceptable. Well, right. So the sun had just set and it was getting dark, and they decided to play a game that they like to call "duck the cars." Oh, that sounds, that sounds safe. I was going to say, that sounds <laughs> so dangerous, but it's really not. Let's wait until it gets dark outside and play deck the cars when it's snowing and dark. <laughs> and I literally wrote in my notes, I was like, because um, that sounds super dangerous, but it really wasn't. So basically they would run back and forth trying to avoid headlights of oncoming cars, but they weren't in the street when they did it. So like they were off to the side and they duck before they okay. saw them. So they, so, okay. They tried to stay in the shadows. So the headlights didn't like flash. Yes. Okay. Yes. I was but like they, running in the street. I know, so I know, I'm like, you're like, it's super safe. They just run through traffic. Just, that's exactly what I was about to say. It's basically it's Frogger. So, it's so safe, except they're running head on to headlights. No, I'm right. Kidding. 
Um, no. So there, the goal was, you know, to duck before the headlights saw them on the side or whatever. Okay. So while they're playing this game, you know, in the dark. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how else are you going to play it? You know, it's got to be dark. Well, a man comes up to the girls and starts nope. talking to them. Don't that's, talk to strangers. That's, that's a nope the fuck out of there, right? Nope. Um, duck, well, duck away from that man. Let's play that game. <laughs> duck away. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, he offered Maria a piggyback ride. Ooh, who is you? No. <laughs> so she's seven years old, right? And most seven-year-olds, I I know now, like... Now they know about Stranger Danger a lot more than they did in the 50s. I feel like it's been more talked about now to yeah. kids. At least I hope so. Seven-year-olds around this time, you know, this is before like Amber Alert, all that stuff was. Right. Um, so, you know, she's probably thinking, oh, it's fun. It's snowing. Like everybody loves everybody. She's like, he's tall. Her. He would make a good piggyback rider. Well, the man hoisted her on his back. Nope. Um, and Kathy, her friend turned around to run inside and get some gloves because her hands were getting cold. Get some parents, girl. <laughs> like the stranger just came and hoisted your friend. <laughs> well, when she came back outside, they were gone. Oh, okay. Well, she's seven years old and the panic starts setting in after yeah. she called her name a couple times and um, didn't hear anything, right? Mm-hmm. So she ran to the Riddle house to tell them that Maria was missing. And at first her parents were like, oh no, she's just hiding. She loves to play hide and seek. I know as a parent, I would not have been like, oh no, she's just hiding. She just loves to play hide and seek in the dark, right. <laughs> in the snow. <laughs> it's fine. It's 20 degrees outside. Well, so she did what most people, parents did back in the fifties and they sent her older brother out there to okay. go look for her. Yeah. So um, her older brother, Charles, who was 11 at the time. I was going to guess Jimmy. I was going to say, Jimmy, go out there and find your sister. It was Charles. Well, um, he looked for her for about an hour and realized Aww. that she was not anywhere around. And so then the panic set in for the parents. Yeah. And they called the police. And this is where the search begins. Okay. So I will say, though, being seven years old, um, Kathy was a huge help. So Kathy actually tells them that the man, like she goes into full description of this okay. man and she's seven. That's yeah. Awesome. So she was super helpful. She told him that the man looked very young. He was tall. He had light hair. Okay. She even told them that he had a gap in his teeth. Oh, like Kathy's observant. Yeah. I'm like, girl, this is my, this is me, <laughs> girl. <laughs> Um, she told him he wore a colorful sweater and then she also told him that his name was Johnny and that he said he was 24 years old and had no wife. Like apparently this guy just talked to these seven year olds and went into a life fucking story. Who introduces themselves like, Hey, I'm Johnny. I'm 24 years old and I have no wife. How are you seven year old? Like what? I, I know. So he then proceeds, like, I guess Kathy says, um, that he told them that he liked dolls and piggyback rides, or he asked them if they liked dolls and piggyback rides. No. And <laughs> of course that excites seven-year-old girls right. because they're like, oh, because yeah, they do, do in fact like we that. Yes. That. So Kathy told the police that Maria had gone to the house to go get a doll to show him. And after she got back, Johnny gave her a piggyback ride. And when he was doing that, she, Kathy, decided to go back to the house and grab her gloves real fast. But when she came outside, she was gone. So clearly he had an interest in Maria mm -hmm. and, and didn't have much of an interest at the time for Kathy. Right. So um, it that was is an opportunity because one of them, I, I bet right. if, if it had been reversed, then maybe he would have taking Kathy which is horrible but he just had that opportunity of just one of them there right so um it was presumed that Maria could have been a, abducted across state lines and uh because they were so close to the state line so right. FBI was contacted which is great right right yeah so the FBI came to help the local and the state police 
in the search. And they, um, they started off by interviewing. They interviewed several witnesses who had, they had seen, um, or who had seen, sorry, who had seen the two girls playing outside with each other. Okay. Um, when it start like right before it started really getting dark. Um, they also talked to family members who had seen or spoken with Maria and Kathy in the course of them getting the doll and the gloves. So all of this happened between six and six 30 in the, in the evening. Okay. And based on this information from the interviews, they believe that Maria was abducted from this Johnny guy between six 45 and seven. Um, because nobody saw this man, right? Kathy was the only one that saw Johnny. Um, that was it out of all the people, like even neighbors and stuff, nobody saw him. Nobody. That's crazy. So they saw them playing outside, but did not see him. Yeah. He had to have come after they had gone inside and they started playing this duck from the cars game and everything. Um, and her parents, they didn't notice anybody either when they went inside to get the doll and went inside to get the gloves. Right. So, um, because this happened, um, and Kathy was the only one that saw him, they placed Kathy in protective custody because the police and police and FBI feared that he would come back and harm her. Right. Cause she'd be the only one that had details yeah. on him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Maria's disappearance, like received national news coverage mm-hmm. and even president Dwight Eisenhower and FBI, did, uh, director J Edgar Hoover mm-hmm. took on an interest in this specific case because it was just so crazy that nobody saw this yeah. guy. Wow. So law enforcement continued to investigate like various suspects in the area, including like well-known sex offenders. Mm-hmm. And they even investigated a local man who had given children piggyback rides. Why is there so many men just give it, walking around? Giving I don't, people- I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I thought that was really odd too. That's exactly what I was about to say. I, I, was like, I, I even put it in my notes. I put it in my notes how odd that is because maybe maybe it was just that different of a time. <laughs> I don't know, but that is not okay. <laughs> like I feel like that's a good place to start investigating. If you know that there's a guy that just goes around and gives kids piggyback rides, you start right. with him. <laughs> right. So after they you know, proceeded to investigate all these people. Maria's parents did appear on te- television and in other media pleading for their daughter's safe return. Um, obviously nothing was coming up and they just continued to search. It was just a really long search for her. That's really sad. Well, in late, right. And in late December so of this that was year. The third that um, she went missing, right? Is that what you it said? It was the third that she went, yes. Okay, and so almost later a month later. Month, yeah. yeah, later that month, um, Kathy was taken to the Dane County Sheriff's Office in Madison, Wisconsin to see a lineup of possible suspects that okay. resembled the description that was given of Johnny from her. Mm-hmm. Um, she positively- Can you imagine I, a, like being a seven-year-old? And having to go through this? Yes. And not only did you, wa- did, not only are you trying to grasp the fact that your best friend was abducted like disappeared at seven years old right but now you have all these men put in front of you in a lineup and all the pressure to be like is this the guy is this the guy like you don't want to mess that up but also you're seven right so she ends up positively identifying a thomas joseph rivard um but he was described in the fbi documents as 35 years old um five foot four so oh, that's short. not tall that's shorter than me I'm no 100 156 pounds not very skinny the way that he was portrayed he had dark blonde wavy bushy hair and i that's don't know what she it, said that's not what she right. said. right okay so she, i think she was just very nervous like yeah, a i'm sure she was nervous me. it had been like a month she was questioning like what she saw like right. does she even remember yeah like i don't think that's right for them to put this well, seven-year-old through that and this guy and and it was determined he wasn't the guy because he had an alibi he was actually in jail at the time of oh, the that's, kidnapping. that's pretty damn good alibi <laughs> <laughs> so they um police actually sus- suspected that somebody else in the lineup was probably the real culprit at the time and 
she just missed it. However, we're going to go into a little bit more. So John Tezger lived in the girls' neighborhood. Okay. Um, he was on the original list of suspects based on a tip. Based on a but tip from who? Just it, just based on a tip. Somebody was like, hey, there's this guy. What's his name? John. 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 Oh, oh John. That's what <laughs> it, it's fucking John. <laughs> Somebody was like, hey, there's this guy named John that lives on the street. He likes to give kids piggyback rides. You should check him out. And they were like, nah. But here's the kicker. Okay. The police didn't provide him in the lineup to have Kathy even identify him because he provided an alibi for the night. Why did you air? Why that. did you? Why did you air bunny that provided? What does that mean? Oh, I'll get into. I'll get into that. Why I say he provided. He provided an alibi, but it was never actually like proof. I don't. I don't know how to put it. It wasn't a, a tight alibi. Like it couldn't be proven. Really, and at the time, they didn't look into it. He provided an alibi, and they were like, "Oh, okay, that you have an alibi." They're like, "Cool, I'll take your word." So on April twenty sixth, nineteen fifty eight near Woodbine, Illinois, which was about a hundred miles from Sycamore where Maria was abducted. Mm -hmm. Two tourists searching for mushrooms in a Aww. wooded area. They're back from the body. I already know. <laughs> um, they were looking for mushrooms in a wooded area um, along Route 20 and they discovered the skeletal remains of a small child. Aww. She was wearing only a shirt undershirt and socks hmm. and was under a partially fallen tree and the decomposed condition of the body indicated it had been there for several months the body was identified as maria riddle based on dent like the dental records, the dental records yeah and a lock of hair Aww. and the shirts and socks she had been wearing when she disappeared now, the rest of Maria's clothing, including her coat, slacks, shoes, and undergarments were not found. Mm. No photographs were taken of the crime scene, although photos were taken of the general location without even showing the body. What? Yep. You heard me. They were like, here's a picture of the woods. Basically. Cool. So they didn't even, they didn't capture a picture of the crime scene. And um, because the coroner, James Furlong, did not want photos of the child's body leaked to the newspapers. And that I mean, is exactly that make, why. That makes sense. But also y'all do y'all's job and don't let them get leaked. Yeah. Well, like. <laughs> and here's the thing, because the crime had occurred within Illinois, rather than crossing state lines, the FBI, FBI, withdrew from the case leaving it to just local Seriously? and state police yeah which is really really disheartening i was like that's, i was like that's pretty shitty but yeah <laughs> but it's out of their i mean it i mean i get it like there's nothing they can do they can't continue further on with any of the investigation because it's not in their jurisdiction so okay now, the initial autopsy did not determine a cause of death due to the state of decomposition. So that was okay. kind of sad, too. So we're going to go into the suspects now. Okay. John. John. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. what I was about to say. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> that, that was just her mic falling. It's fine. <laughs> my bad. My bad. Okay. So John... <laughs> Uh, John all was, of the listeners are deaf now <laughs> was it really that loud it didn't feel like it was loud in my ears but i don't know it, in my ear holes all up in my ear holes so john was born uh john cherry not john tezger okay um he was born john cherry on november 27th 1939 in northern ireland oh. um his father was a british sergeant named samuel cherry and his mother was eileen cherry now, Samuel was killed early in World War II. Okay. And during the war, war, Eileen had served as one of the first female airplane spotters um, with the UK's Royal Air Force. And she ended up meeting Ralph Tezger. Okay. Now, Ralph was serving with the United States 8th Army Air Force. 
and she ends up marrying him in November of 1944. And after the war, she and her son, John, who was seven at the time, <laughs> quinkity, right. uh, they followed Ralph to Sycamore, Illinois. So Ralph and Eileen have six more children together oh, over the years. And yeah. And after of his, <laughs> lots of chillins. <laughs> and after his mother's marriage, John ended up taking that last name. So instead of going by John Cherry, he went by John Tesher. So mm-hmm. the um, Tesher family home in Sycamore was located around the corner from the Riddle home, which was less than like two blocks away. Okay. And Ralph was a sign painter. Like he painted the logo signs on the doors of the Sycamore police cars. Oh. And like was good friends with the police chief. So, which is really, this really was- hard to understand this going on. If he's, if his like stepdad was a good man, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, not all parents of no, <laughs> I don't, I don't mean it that way, but I'm just saying like, he grew up in a great home. Like, yeah. I mean, just, that happens sometimes. I know. So John, this is kind of where it starts going downhill. He was expelled from school in the 10th grade um, because he pushed a teacher and called her a name. Oh, you can't do that. Like he legitimately put his hands. That's on not the allowed. Teacher. That's not, that's not okay. That's not allowed. Right. And at the time of Maria's disappearance, he was 18 years old. So he was young, not 24. I mean, that's like still young though. He could have been, if he said, Hey, I'm John, I'm 24. He could have just been lying to these kids. I like, know, but it does show that he was definitely young. Like, like yeah, she, she said he was young. Like, yeah. So he was 18 years old. He was living at home with his parents and his siblings and was making plans to join the air force. Um, so, you know, he couldn't go to school. Like he couldn't graduate his school because he got expelled. So why not join the air force? Right. So, um, the U S post office at 401 South main street in Rockford, Illinois was where John said he had made a collect call and spoke to military recruiters on the evening of December 3rd, 1957. So So that was his alibi. I was. I was yes. talking to okay. So this they couldn't confirm that they couldn't find out who he was talking to supposedly. Well, they do. We'll go into that a little bit deeper too because they do dig into all of that too. Oh, so okay. on De- on December fourth, after she had disappeared, you know, investigators did visit the Tesher home as part of the neighborhood. The neighborhood. Right. They were like going door to door, just checking yeah. everywhere. And according to um, John's half-sisters, Catherine and Jean, their mother told investigators that John had been home on the night of December 3rd, which is really odd if he provides an alibi that he's not home. Right. Sketch. It is sketch. sketch. So shortly after, like before Maria's body was found, the FBI investigated John as a possible suspect. Um, sources kind of differed on whether the investigate in whether the investigation was triggered by a tip from a local resident or if it was a tip from one of John's own parents, like seeking oh. to clear their son because they were like, oh, here's a tip. You shouldn't look into him. He was here. Was home. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's just weird because they realized that, it, you know, he had the same name, the same description, the same, like. He, he was young ever- with no wife named John. And it, yeah, it's Johnny, right? So um, that's why, why he was like a possible suspect at first. Mm-hmm. Well, John and his parents told FBI investigators, like, when he ends up being brought in later, that on December 3rd, 1957, he was in Rockford, Illinois, 40 miles away from Sycamore because he was there to enlist in the Air Force. Wait, so now he's he's in person enlisting, not like on a phone call with them? Right. Well, right. So this story was different from the mother's statement too. 
Um, yeah. She said that he was home all night. We're getting mixed signals here, guys. Right. Well, he said that he had been in Chicago on December 2nd and December 3rd doing physical examinations that were required for his enlistment. I mean, and I on- feel like you could check that out if, if that was... <laughs> Right. Well, on the morning of December 3rd, he had visited the Chicago recruiting station and then spent the day sightseeing in Chicago before returning to Rockford by train that evening, which arrived there at 645. So he's saying he was in Rockford by 645. That's when his train got there. So there's no way that he could have. Right. So he called his parents to ask for a ride home to Sycamore. And since he had taken the train to and from Chicago and left his own car at home, like he needed, he needed a ride. Well, the telephone records were later found showing that a collect call was placed from the Rockford post office to the Tejer home at 657 that evening by someone who gave his name as John Tejer. That's what was written down by the operator. By the operator, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and after making the call john then met with officers from the rockford recruiting station to drop off paperwork relating to this enlistment and the officers confirmed that they did speak with him around 7 15 that night although one officer said um like they expressed some of the concerns about john's credibility and conduct over it meaning he seemed pretty rushed and nervous when he came in Okay, so So, now it starts to get a little bit confusing, right? So he actually did go. He did go. He was there. Okay. But how did he make the 40-mile drive if she would have been abducted from 645 to 7, right? Mm -hmm. At least this is what the police had originally said. She must have been abducted around that time, given all the information from the neighborhood Right. You know, everything like that. So they didn't, they then brought John in to the police station to take a lie detector test, which he passed. I mean, he passed the lie detector test. And uh, in view of this alibi, like that was what they ended up testing him with the lie detector, you know, basically making sure that his alibi panned out. So John was taken off the suspect list and the FBI closed out his report on December 10th, noting no further investigation is being conducted regarding the above suspect. Now, Kathy was never shown a photograph of him. She was never asked to identify him. And John left Sycamore the next day to report for basic training at Lackland Air Force Base. So on the 11th, he left. Okay. So right after he's taken off the suspect list, he, he ducks out. Right. Well, John served in the U.S. military for 13 years. He rose to the rank of captain. After leaving the service, he moved to Seattle, Washington, where he graduated from the King County Law Enforcement Academy in June 1974. And he became a police officer in a small town. Um. He later joined the police department in Milton, Washington, where he like clashed with the chief of police and the chief attempted to fire him and documented like a long list of complaints about his work and his conduct. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, he, he wasn't suited for that area or whatever. Well, in 1982, he ends up taking in a 15 year old runaway, Michelle Weinman. And her friend, too. Well, he, her friend who... He took in both of them? Mm-hmm. And her friend left. And it was just Michelle. So the friend who knew John as a Milton police officer um, mm-hmm. said that he was, you know, he was a good, good guy. He wasn't an issue. Well, Weinman, Michelle, later testifies that shortly after she began living with him, he fondled her and performed oral mm, sex on her. No. She's 15. Yeah. Well, John was charged with statutory rape, mm-hmm. which is a felony. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is, which is awful. And after plea negotiations, he eventually pleaded guilty to communication with the minor for immoral purposes. 
and it was dropped as a misdemeanor. What? Yeah. So he was only sentenced to one year of formal probation, but he he was terminated from the police department. I was going to say, did they just like, keep his job? No, he was terminated. Okay. So on April 27th, 1994, John legally changed his name to Jack Daniel McCall. McCall, I can't say. He changed his name to Jack Daniel. Jack Daniel. (laughs) (laughs) He said he wanted to honor his late mother because that was her maiden name. So by. Are you trying to say McCullough? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I was like, what, do you, what, what is that word I'm, you're saying? I'm trying. I'm trying to say it so bad. And okay. <laughs> so by 2011, he's now in his early 70s and was living at a retirement community in Northwest Seattle, where he ends up working as a security guard. So that's, that's John. Okay. That's his whole ass life. Okay. <laughs> so now we're going to move on to William Henry Redmond as another possible suspect. Okay. Now in 1997, Sycamore Police Lieutenant Patrick Soler had closed the then 40-year-old case that was unsolved. Um, Why did he close it? That always bothers me when they close unsolved cases. Well, he like, closed- just leave them open so he- that hopefully one day they'll get solved. But he closed it as solved. He closed it naming William Henry Redmond, who was a former truck driver and carnival worker from Nebraska, um, who also died in 1992. So granted, he closed this, you know, five years after he dies. So he was (laughs) the man. Yes. As the man who likely abducted and killed Maria. Okay. I need to hear about this guy because all I'm hearing is this guy is just like, Oh, this guy is dead, and right. I think he did it. Case solved. Right. That's exactly how it was. Well, Redmond had been charged in 1988 with the 1951 murder of an eight-year-old Pennsylvania girl. Now, that case was dismissed when a police officer refused to reveal the name of a confidential informant. What? Like, that was what? their... Yes. This is... Confidential's in the naming of that. Correct. Confidential means you don't. But this police officer refused to to give. So they just dismissed this murder of this eight-year-old child. They didn't have any evidence, so it was dismissed. I know it's it's, that's a whole other case, but anyways. Okay. Okay. Redmond was also a suspect in the 1951 disappearance of a ten-year-old girl, Beverly Potts. People can't see me, but I keep just throwing my hands up in the air. I know, I know. Well, according to Solar, the police lieutenant, mm-hmm. Redmond told a fellow inmate that he had committed a crime which was similar to Maria's abduction and murder. It just sounded alike. So he believed that Redmond's appearance and behavior matched that of Johnny. Okay. So basically he sucks. He's dumb. (laughs) Anyways, um, Patrick's report was criticized due to lack of supporting evidence. And um, he found himself like he himself acknowledged that the evidence against Redmond was circumstantial and that if Redmond had lived, it would have been difficult to even convict him in the Maria case unless he confessed because there was just no evidence. There was nothing to provide. So for that reason, he had called the riddle case closed, but not solved is how he put it. He's like, it's he closed, closed, but it's not solved, but I saw even it. though he, even <laughs> though he, he was trying to name William as the guy. Right. Okay. Now he left it open for the possibility that a better suspect might later be found. So it, so it's not, he didn't close it. He left it open. Yeah, he, it was, it was closed, but not solved. He left it open, like slightly open just in case. (laughs) It's just just like cracked. It's cracked. Just cracked open. Just a little. Letting the air out. (laughs) Right. So when um, John or Jack, whatever you want to call him now. (laughs) Right. Later. He's later tried in the riddle case. And the trial judge ruled out any testimony about Redmond on the grounds that he was not even a credible suspect. 
there was literally no link to him to right. Mariam. So he was, that was when he was officially taken off the um, suspect Suspectless. list. Okay. So now we're going to get to the reopening of the case. You know, the we're going to open it all the way. Like, gonna, it's not going to be gonna cracked. Open. It's going to be wide open. Crack that baby open. So the case was reopened in 2008. Okay. So based on new information from John's half-sister, Janet Tejer, um, according to Janet, their mother, Eileen, on her deathbed in January 1994. What did she say? Had said those two little girls the one that one that disappeared john did it john did it and you have to tell someone oh no so janet took the her deathbed confession was not even like a a, her own confession (laughs) (laughs) no no so janet took the statement as meaning like that her half-brother john that yeah that would be how you would take that if you had a half-brother named john and your dying mother said john did it had kidnapped and murdered Maria because, you know, she remembered having to go through like seeing police officers coming in and talking and interviewing them and John having to go to the police station and all that. So she took it as that. Mm -hmm. She also heard from her older sisters, Catherine and Jean, that Eileen had lied to investigators that he was home on the night of the crime. Well, they knew that because they knew that he actually had gone to enlist or whatever. Right. But Janet was one of the younger ones and couldn't remember this. Like she didn't remember it. She she just assumed that he was home because that's what she was always told. She heard Catherine and Jean talking about how their mother said she was not, or or Mm. he was not there. Okay. Um, now another one of his half sisters, Mary, who was also present when Eileen spoke to Janet later testified that she had only heard her mother say he did it not john did it just he did it just he did it okay now mary testified that she had the same understanding who else would she be talking about though (laughs) right that's why i was saying that yeah mary also testified that she had the same understanding as janet though that clearly she was talking about john Mm -hmm. in the murder years ago because he was the only one that was suspected in the house now, at the time, Eileen, she she had cancer. She was on morphine. And according to her doctor, was very disoriented. Oh, geez. <laughs> so um, another thing that was brought up was that John had allegedly once threatened to kill Janet with a gun. Wait, what? <laughs> and it's, yeah, so like, all this stuff is coming out like all all of the tea is being spilt over this family right Uh after their mother dies (laughs) it's all it's all out on the table so supposedly he had once threatened to kill janet with a gun he had supposedly sexually molested one of his Uh, other half sisters when she was a minor um and that basically he was estranged when Eileen died like he he was the family had nothing to do with him he was told he wasn't even allowed to attend her funeral like they did not want anything to do with him so who's to say if they really heard this if they're just trying to finally use you know their hatred for him and the perfect example you know oh he did it this because because there's no proof right there's just no evidential proof or any of this now janet said that she had made several attempts over the next 14 years to get law enforcement including the sycamore police and the fbi to look into her mother's statement and they wouldn't bed. and they wouldn't now patrick solar you remember that dumbass mm-hmm. <laughs> he um who was like part of this time was still the lieutenant um and had identified william you know William Redmond or whatever as the right. suspect in 2008 Janet emailed him and the Illinois state police tip line asking to look into John like she just kept pressing it and he was like no I already solved it well <laughs> it, 
No. <laughs> <laughs> so Janet's sister, Catherine and Jean told investigators like of their suspicions too. Mm-hmm. And Jean said that, you know, John had molested her as a child and other young girls. Mm-hmm. And another woman stated that John had given her a piggyback ride as a child nope. and, and refused to put her down until her father intervened. Oh so God. Like, all this stuff is like coming out now. Now that he is like older, all this stuff's coming out. So state police investigators decided to open up all of this evidence again. So they review the evidence and they developed a new timeline in which John could have possibly kidnapped Maria and driven to Rockford in time to make a telephone call at 657 and even meet with a recruiting officer at 715. Now, under this new timeline, they determine that Maria would have had to have been kidnapped no later than 620. So that's still technically in that in that time frame. So remember, all of the neighborhood and everybody said, you know, roughly 6, 630, they didn't see anybody. So that's still in that time frame. Still in the time frame. The police search for Maria uh, was like underway by seven o'clock that evening. Mm-hmm. And This was according to Catherine, who had then returned home from a party at seven to find the search in progress. So like Catherine wasn't technically home until seven o'clock that evening either. So wait, so Catherine had to go. So she had to go based off of at the time her mother stating, well, John was home all night. Oh, okay. Right. Now hoping to have Kathy the seven-year-old best friend at the time you know that's why I got confused because I was thinking when you said Catherine just now I was thinking it was the seven-year-old friend Kathy right, no. it's the uh, yes <laughs> okay Kathy now hoping to have Kathy Chapman mm-hmm. review of a photographic lineup police took five pictures from the 1950s are we talking about grown-up Kathy grown-up Kathy okay grown-up Kathy they she's took- supposed to remember this from when she was seven fucking right (laughs) okay i'm just making sure i understand what you're about to tell me (laughs) you understand grown up kathy they took five pictures from the 1957 sycamore high school yearbook but remember john's picture was not in the yearbook no because he he got expelled in 10th grade so police had to get a photo of him from a former girlfriend Okay. Um, they had to just find out who he would have like been they, dating at that time and see if they couldn't find a, a picture from his house. Like, I don't no. know. that's exactly what I was going to say. That seems easier and, to me. Had to go and investigate who he was dating that time. Apparently, like, say, go ask oh, his hey, mother. You a picture of it? Well, his mother's dead. Well, yeah, but family. Like, <laughs> I'm sure yeah. his mother's had pictures of him from back then. Right. Right. Well, so they get this picture, and Kathy identified him. And said, that's Johnny. What the fuck? As an adult, she identifies him. So, uh, I don't understand understand why they never put him in front of her when she was little. I know, right? I don't understand. Okay. No. So, along with this picture, John's former girlfriend did provide them an unused military-issued train ticket from Rockford to Chicago dated december 1915 1957 no i i stuttered december 1957 (laughs) i was like december 19th he left on the 11th no i stuttered stuttering stanley oh my gosh that okay that was anticlimactic i'm like december 19th and you're like no no <laughs> anyways so he did not use unused, his ticket unused okay so the investigators took this as john's alibi had holes a uh, <laughs> little bit yeah they're like no nah, bro it was it so, was like jesus it was super holy holy very holy now john had not taken the train on his trip to chicago and had instead instead the instead instead yeah instead instead no, instead, he drove his car there, meaning that 
he could have driven back to Sycamore that He'd afternoon anywhere. He just bought this ticket, ticket as proof that this is where he was going. It was right? fucking John. It's fucking John. So on December, like he could have gone anywhere. Like, are you going to say on December 19th again? <laughs> I, was, I was saying December 3rd, <laughs> but <laughs> so basically he could have driven back to Sycamore that afternoon. You know, he could have mm-hmm. kidnapped Maria by 620, drove to Rockford. So the police located who they believe could have been the it, the one that had this crime over 50 years later, you know. The one that they committed this crime, was, yeah. That, that he was the suspect. Now, a high school friend of John's also mentioned to the police, they recalled seeing his very distinctively painted car in Sycamore that afternoon. How is it painted? And he also, just they, also <laughs> they also said that John did not let anyone else drive his car, meaning that he would have definitely been in Sycamore that, that afternoon. So he was a liar. A lying liar. And now I'm really curious about how his car was painted. <laughs> now, in July 2011, the Seattle Police Department who had joined with the Illinois State Police in the investigation, brought John in for questioning. Now, they had to use, like, a professional interrogator, though, because he used to work for law enforcement. So he had experience, and they knew that their tactics weren't going to go over real smoothly with his training. And so at first, John spoke, like, super calm. He cooperated. But then when they started asking specific questions about the murder of Maria Mm -hmm. and his whereabouts on that night of the crime, he got super aggressive. Like, he got aggressive. He got like, did not like, yeah, he did not like being accused of things. So after John refused to answer, I don't like you kidnapping and murdering seven year old girls. So, right. Well, when he decided that he was done answering any more questions, he was arrested for the kidnapping and murder of Maria. Okay. <laughs> and then was he was also extradited to Illinois because it happened in Illinois. Because it happened, right. Now, at this time, it's 2011, right? Mm-hmm. He's like Maria, 70 now, right? Right. So Maria's body was then exhumed okay. um, that same month so that they could check for DNA evidence. Good plan. But none was found. None? None was found. Okay. Now, a forensic anthropologist, though, did find that Maria had been stabbed in the throat at least three times by a long, sharp blade. Um, they, didn't, they didn't find that the first time? I don't know what they okay. fucking found the first time because clearly they didn't do their job. <laughs> right. I mean, they, but, didn't take, they didn't take pictures of the body or the crime scene or anything that, like that. So. Exactly. They didn't fucking do anything. So, um... She pointed out Nick's inner sternum and the neck vertebrae was consistent with at least three slashes to her throat. Hmm. Um, Although like the stabbing was considered most likely the cause of death Mm -hmm. because there was like so much decomposition of the soft tissue at the time of death, like when they found her, um, there could have been other possibilities like she could have been strangulated first um <laughs> yes i said strangulated i laughed and i'm like Strangled. that's not funny <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i wrote strangulated it's <laughs> she could have been strangled first got it Okay, so there was evidence that she could have been strangled before she was stabbed. Yeah, there, there, well, there, no, there wasn't evidence. That's the there thing. wasn't, oh. There okay. was not evidence. Sorry, I got there... confused by your strangulated. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> no, it was like they couldn't tell whether she could have been strangled first or if, if she really was, the cause of death really was her being slashed on the throat like up to three times. Right. Now, um, they set a trial date. So at the trial in September 2012, the prosecution stated that John was attracted to Maria and that's why he decided to kidnap her. Oh, but, in, but instead, sorry. I know, but instead ended up killing her and 
presented like new autopsy reports suggesting that Maria was stabbed to death okay did you say the prosecution of the defense said that I was like is that supposed to be a defense that he was attracted to her and that's why the prosecution okay intended like they they said that he was attracted to her he was attracted yeah to this seven year old baby child but remember this is just what they're saying right Right. that's just speculations they don't know right so they suspected that john molested her but they were unable to prove it and all of her everything was missing but her shirt and her socks like right so it was suggested but it also wasn't brought up in court they had it put into the statement but they never actually brought it up in court because there was nothing that they couldn't prove anything right so numerous witnesses did testify for the prosecution including maria's family members neighbors law enforcement personnel and Mm -hmm. even kathy who was married kathy chapman now Mm -hmm. um and she was the star witness and identified john as johnny right another childhood friend of maria's also testified that she had been offered a piggyback ride from Johnny and identified him as John. Mm-mm. Now, three inmates who were jailed with John also testified that he had talked about killing Maria. I thought, okay, I thought you were going to say they also testified that he had given them piggyback rides. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? It's <laughs> like, what is happening right now? What's going on? so um their stories were both inconsistent though they failed to match the evidence that indicated maria had been stabbed so they weren't like their test they didn't testify in court they testified to you know right they were basically just trying to give inside information to maybe lessen their sentences right one of the inmates said that john spoke about strangling maria with a wire there just wasn't proof of that there, they could prove or disprove that yeah and another said that he accidentally smothered her to stop her from screaming again there was just no proof of right. that so um it was kind of inconsistent so on september 14th 2012 john was convicted of the kidnapping and murder of maria and received a life sentence with the possibility of parole after 20 years he was 73 years old at the time of sentencing. Okay, I'm confused right now because didn't you say at the beginning this was unsolved? I'm not done. Okay. <laughs> it sounds pretty solved to me. It's not though. Okay. So in 2015, three years after he had been convicted, John filed a petition for post-conviction relief asking that his murder conviction be set aside. Um, after John's petition was initially dismissed by the court because like on what grounds should it be set aside just right is he trying to go for a statute of limitation or something like that well the public defender who had originally represented John at the trial had continued to investigate the case while staying in touch with John now this is despite the fact that he was no longer appointed to defend him anymore but he didn't feel like it it, it added up so he asked the court to reconsider the dismissal and john filed a successive motion that could not be denied without a hearing from the state attorney's office okay so in response to the motions the state attorney richard schmack schmack i like that name (laughs) schmack 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 you around a little bit i'm gonna schmack (laughs) you anyways he um he conducted like a very extensive review of the evidence and it led him to conclude that John could not have committed the crime and was actually innocent. What what evidence? So according to uh, Richard, evidence was kept out of the trial that clearly established John's whereabouts on the evening of Maria's abduction rather than from Sycamore as what was alleged in the trial. Okay. Now, given the timing of the telephone call, the 40 mile distance between Sycamore and Rockford and the icy road conditions of that night concluded that John could not have possibly been in Sycamore at the time of Maria's disappearance. 
Okay. So following a March 2016 court hearing on April 15th, 2016, John or judge, I don't know why I said John, uh, William P. Brady of the Illinois Circuit Court vacated um, John's original conviction and sentence and ordered a new trial. Um, so John, who remained charged with the crime, was released on bond that day. He was pending the new trial date. And a week later, Judge Brady dismissed the charges against John. He, however, wait, he just dismissed him without a trial. However, the dismissal of the murder, murder charge was without prejudice, meaning that John could be tried again of the murder for Maria should a prosecutor wish to do so. So it wouldn't be like a double jeopardy situation. Right. So John was declared innocent of the crime by the county circuit court on April 12th, 2017. The case is still officially unsolved. Now, personally, I think Schmack was a dumbass because clearly there was supporting evidence, right? I personally believe that the supporting evidence was one, he had an unused train ticket. Two, he gave an alibi that didn't support anything that was testified prior. Right, right. Three, clearly he didn't take a train to Chicago and drove and had his car. And a friend even said that he saw his car there in right. more the right. day of the disappearance. And it was already proven that if he would have abducted her by 620, which was still inside that time frame, that he could have easily made it to Rockford and made a phone call and still filed his paperwork with his sketch ass fucking attitude. <laughs> Right. And who's to even say that he made the phone call? Like he could have had a friend in the area and been like, Hey, can you call me at home at this time? Right. Like there's no proof that he made that call. Just a call from a payphone was just made to the house. Just a call from it. Right. It, just, just information from an operator. There's no recording. There's nothing like that. So, and his fucking mother on her deathbed said he did it. Also, I wonder. Also all of his sisters. If said that because she knew that he did it or she said that because she highly suspected from all of the evidence that she's seen from the case and what the girl said and it, yeah does she know he did it or does she believe he did it and she was covering up like his alibi did she, because she knew he lied awful did she just struggle with this for all of these years until she died like just <laughs> internally struggle with did my kid did my baby grow up and do this terrible thing to this other baby or is he innocent right. or and I also just feel like that is just awful the way that they ended it too because the judge was like okay well we're gonna order a new trial but we're gonna put you on bond you can you can go on bond and then they're like oh a week later we're just gonna dismiss it because we just don't have all the it's evidence fine. that we need I mean, I mean we could try you again I know that you're like in your 70s and could totally croak anytime but we could try you again or we could just let you out and you could possibly do this again to a small child because right like what the fuck who knows if it was this guy who knows what else he's done throughout the years that nobody like he never got caught right for. right so i told you it was going to be very very frustrating because it was frustrating yeah for me it's frustrating it. But I feel like the case is definitely solved. <laughs> yeah, but there's no justice brought to it. Like this, I know sucks. This sucks. I'm sorry. I'm it's sorry for pissing me off. No, no, it's I'm fine. Sorry. So I mean, yeah, that, that's. I had the, not heard that one. Uh, that's the unsolved case of Maria Riddle. Sad. It is sad. It is very sad. Well, my case that I'm working on for next week is a huge ass bummer super heavy so that's cool so sorry everyone <laughs> i don't like that because your bummers are really bummers yeah like they bum me up they actually make me mad more than bum like uh, i don't oh, get bummed i get pissed <laughs> i literally have had to take several breaks from my notes just because i've gotten so pissed mm, yeah <laughs> or, well, or so sad yeah well, all right well so that's the case so until next time, follow us on all the stuff. Yeah. Sierraholicsisters.com. Mm-hmm.
I almost said at Gmail. <laughs> that's our was, that's our email I address. Just, I was about to say, did you forget our? <laughs> no, I was going to say the email address, but that's the website, and that's you can find all of our info. And that is that. Yeah, so um, let's be also, even. Oh, we're not being awkward yet. Okay. No, I was, <laughs> I was about to say. Also, if you haven't uh, joined our Patreon, you totally should because. We've got several episodes out there already, and it is a new month, so a new episode will be released. New one will come soon. Yeah, but now we can be awkward. Okay, because we haven't <laughs> been awkward enough. Um, okay, <laughs> so bye. Strangulation. Okay, bye. Hey, don't judge me. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>